Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis podcast. I just love how that rolls off the tongue. I thank you for joining me again on this series on the sacraments. I really do like the sacraments. Uh, I think I told you at the beginning of the series that I read this big old fat textbook on the sacraments and I was just in love with it all. It's like, oh man, this stuff is so good. I gotta get it out there. And so I'm I'm keeping on going. Just some super, super interesting, interesting topics here. So this topic is on the instrumentality of the sacraments or how the sacraments are an instrument. What the, what, the, what the heck does that mean? How How is the grace actually caused? Anyways, we're going to get more into the, that kind of stuff. But anyways, just kind of thinking. These days I've I bought paint for my house. I'm, I'm, I painted a while back. When I first got here, there was a little bit of paint that needed to be done on the exterior of my house. So I painted my garage door. I painted some of the the posts that are holding up the front porch. I painted the shutters of the house and it looks good. Nothing too crazy. Uh, but I've now begun to look in the inside. A couple weeks ago, I painted one of the bathrooms because it, I, I had to get some, some new tile work done. And I was like, you know what? I got the time. I'm going to paint it. So I painted it like a bright turquoise. <laughs> it's a little bit brighter, but, you know, I guess it's a bathroom. You're supposed to feel like you're in the sea or something like that, right? Well, anyways, that's that's what I did. And I'm thinking I'm going to go bright. My house will be bright. I am a big fan of colors. I wear a lot of no color. <laughs> I wear a lot of black. <laughs> and it works for me. It's not a problem. But even with my socks, you know, sometimes I like to... I think my favorite pair of socks I had was is a pair of black socks, but it had these little dots kind of running up the sides of the socks. And it was like red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and back to red. And I just I just love that. Just the little dots, very subtle, but just very, very colorful. I like I like good color. So in my kitchen, I've already bought the paint. It's gonna be a yellow. It's going to be not like a soft beige-ish yellow, but it's going to be a fairly strong yellow. Think of, I think it's called like daisy something or other. So think about the yellow center of a daisy. That's that's what I got from my kitchen here. I got like white tile in my kitchen, and then there's some some wood that I think someone thinks that is redwood stain. Maybe I'm, I'm really not super sure, but uh, but I think it'll look good. Uh, it'll be brighter. It will be brighter. My house is beige currently. The house is beige. The walls are beige. The The baseboards are beige. The curtains are beige. And my furniture is a very kind of a mute dark red or kind of a lighter, lighter brownish wood color for some of the, some of the other things in, in my living room. So it's very... Not colorful, but that's going to change soon. So that yellow will come in. I'm excited about that. And then for my living room and for the the main hallway, I think I'm going to go with like a kind of a green that's like the color of a lime. I don't want it to be that dark, but kind of a lighter version of that. So kind of pop pop right there in your eye kind of green. Um, so I'm, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to try to go for that. It's going to be pretty bright. And then the curtains both in my kitchen – because I have a walk out to the porch there. got a doorway there. I think I'll get red curtains, just pl- flat red. And then the same flat red color for the window in my living room. And then, you know, the red and the green, I think that'll go together. And the red and the yellow, I think that'll kind of feel like kind of a cool barn f- 
barn feel. Not, maybe not barn, but uh, I'm not sure. Kind of like a rooster feel. The roosters are kind of yellow and kind of red. Or maybe, I don't know. I saw someone who had a house like that, and I was like, I like that. Uh, and then with the bath, the ba- back bedrooms, I think I'll do kind of a lighter blue. Something a little bit more calm, cool, like an Easter blue, something light. Um, but I, that's kind of what I've been thinking about anyways. Not that y'all cared, not that y'all asked, but um, that's what I have to tell you today. Anyways, today we're talking about the instrumentality of the sacrament, uh, of the sacraments in general. The title sounds a little bit boring, but I think there's some really significant uh, understandings that can happen here, and it really makes it cool in our ultimate conclusion, thinking, well, if it's an instrument, that means there's somebody who is wielding the instrument. That means it's Jesus who is using this sacrament to bless someone, to give grace to someone. It's Jesus who is baptizing that person, for example. We're going to get into a little bit more of that. Because it's not so obvious. People in the history didn't think about that. And really, until the 1200s, people really didn't think about it that way. Though in the early church they did. They're kind of the exception. So kind of for almost a thousand years, they kind of had forgotten what it meant, these sacraments in this direct form of causation. Very good. So let's begin with the prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Lord, we need your grace. We are absolutely dependent upon you. We need you for everything, everything, everything. And so we we beg for you. Please, Lord, send us your grace. Help us to be nourished by this teaching. Help us to be nourished by all the sacraments so that we see that it is not the priest, not the minister that is blessing us, but it is you who are conferring this grace to your beloved children. Help us to receive and to know and to learn what you ask us to. We ask this in accordance with your holy will, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a question that I'll begin with, which is kind of a question that will guide the whole conversation, because I'll, ask, I'll talk about some false answers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where did people go wrong? So the question that I'm going to ask is, do the sacraments actually cause grace? Or maybe a sub-question of this will be better. Can a physical thing, a physical event, a physical action make a spiritual reality? Can a physical event, which is kind of what a sacrament is, can it do something that is more than physical, that is supernatural, that, that does not have a, a bodily dimension to it? You know, we, we typically say you cannot give what you don't have, and water does not have a spiritual reality to it. But in baptism, we say there's a spiritual reality to it. You know, what in the world's going on there? Can the sacrament of water bring forth a spiritual cleansing? That's just an example, but we can ask that for all of these. So it's a dilemma. It's our dilemma. You know, our basic belief is the answer is yes. But what in the world does that mean? Now, I'm going to start with one approach to this answer. This is the common, uh, I would maybe even say the common response to this question. And, And the response would simply be no. Uh, that is not 
what happens in the sacraments. They're, the sacrament, the sign, because you know, they'll recognize uh, baptism, but they won't necessarily recognize the causing of the sacramental grace. Uh, I don't want to be thrown around accusations, so I'm just going to quote here. Uh, I'll quote Luther first, and this is from his work, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And he says, It is an error to hold that the sacraments of the new law differ from those of the old law in their effectiveness of their signs. The same God who saves us by baptism and bread saved Ooh, I gotta read my saved Abel by his sacrifice, Noah by the rainbow. Their whole efficacy, therefore, consists in faith itself, not in the doing. Okay, so he's making this parallel. In the new law, in the new covenant, these sacraments that the seven sacraments, he says, well, they, they make a difference in the same way that the things of the Old Testament made a difference. Um, just being kind of symbols uh, of a deeper faith. The faith is what brings about the, the new grace. But the event, the action of the uh, sacrament does not do it. It is the faith itself. That's why he says their whole efficacy consists in faith itself, not in the doing. I think you could find some more nuance if you read Luther more thoroughly, but I think this is, if it's not his idea, these are at least his words, <laughs> and this does become the primary Protestant understanding of this, of the sacraments. Um, perhaps with the exception of some Anglicans, some Episcopalians, if not many, not real sure. Now let's think about what Calvin says. This comes from his work, The Institutes, specifically from Book 4. He says that there is no efficacy. Uh, the, the opposing idea, that is to say that there is efficacy, is, quote, fatal and pestilential, end quote. And then again he says it is, quote, of the devil, end quote. So he's a little <laughs> not not a fan, not a fan of the idea of these sacred signs being efficacious in giving grace. Uh, he would define sacraments. He actually does define sacraments. Uh, he because again, this idea of sacrament was a was a sacred sign that was very pronounced before then. Now we think of them super super exclusive to the seven, but. But previously, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, there were sacraments of the Old Testament, sacraments of the New Testament. The difference is the New Testament, they actually have an efficaciousness to them. So Calvin will give his own definition of sacraments. He says that they are a testimony of the divine favor toward us, confirmed by an external sign with a corresponding attestation of our faith toward him. End quote. Um, so we can say, we can agree with the fact that, yeah, there's a corresponding attestation of our faith. You know, if someone's receiving these sacraments of faith without faith, that's not healthy. That's not right. That causes confusion among the people and a weakening of the, the grace of the sacrament. That's not what he would say. That's what us Catholics would say. 
we would also say it is there is something of the divine favor that is confirmed by an external sign. The simple reality that is missing here is just the efficaciousness of it. We believe that God makes it happen through this event, through this action, through this sacred sign. Calvin kind of brings it down just to the simple idea that a sacrament makes visible God's promises. God's promises are above this, and he's not going to really plan on using the sacraments other than just kind of a a show, a, a revelation of his promises, but not the fulfillment of his promises. promises. Can physical things make a spiritual thing? Can physical realities cause a spiritual result? The second response to this will actually look to a saint. This is from St. Albert. And he's kind of drawing, He's this is very similar to what St. Bonaventure would say. St. Bernard before him would also say something similar. And he does, they do say that there is a causation in the sacraments. There is a causation. But they give a little nuance to it to give us a helpful understanding of what, or at least to propose a helpful understanding of where God is acting and where God is not acting. So they'll say that the sacraments do not cause in the sense of causing a direct infusion of grace into the soul. That is reserved to God alone to do that. Where the sacraments do have their causation is that the sacraments create, this is kind of interesting, they create a necessary disposition in the subject for the reception of grace. So it's kind of like uh, there's you're a, a bit of clay, and God's going to infuse you with some kind of radiant glow in that clay, and that's kind of impossible. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's the example. And they would say, look, you know, God can't just shine on that clay, or we can't just do some kind of physical event here, and then that shine enters into it. No. That's for God alone to perform something radically miraculous. But what does happen is that this sacrament is kind of like carving a bowl into that clay, which is that disposition. It makes that person ready to receive the grace, and then that grace is able to be filled in. So thinking of baptism, the gift of baptism is to make that person well disposed to receive grace in the future, at that moment as well as in the future. This is has been kind of left aside. The church has kind of tossed this idea away as kind of having some significant lacks. I'm going to talk about some of these lacks, but I will also say that this is still a very common idea in the church. What do I mean by that? I mean that people think that if they are not disposed to receive the sacrament, they can still benefit from the sacrament in, in the sense of if they can't really receive grace now, well, then receiving the sacrament will give me the strength to receive him in the future. It will create a disposition in me to, to receive some kind of grace. I get this all the time in baptism. Father, you know, we got our kid baptized and, you know, yeah, they've fallen away from the church, but but we just count on that sacramental grace there to, to draw them back. Thinking that, that baptism created a disposition to receive grace. This is an error. 
Just because someone receives baptism does not mean that they have received the grace of baptism. <laughs> that's kind of a sad thing to say, but uh, that's kind of the truth of it. Just because someone receives a sacrament doesn't necessarily mean they receive the grace of that sacrament because we have to have our own disposition beforehand. The sacrament does not cause a disposition, though it might. It can increase a disposition for future grace, but the necessary disposition must already be there. God's going to act, but we might not necessarily receive that act, if you will. It's kind of like a fire. There's going to be a fire there. But we might just run away from the fire and remain cold. What a good disposition does is it draws us to the fire. And what St. Albert, kind of following the tradition of St. Bonaventure, St. Bernard, they would say to some degree like this, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm creating a false, uh, I'm putting words in their mouth. But they would say just by giving them the sacrament draws them to that fire to be warmed, draws them to that grace. That has not been the case. That is not true. Why do I say this? Because I, no, excuse me, because the church sees a very direct infusion of divine grace into the soul through the sacrament. I'm going to trace this through sacred scripture um, and then kind of quickly also through some of the fathers of the church. So I'm highlighting the words if and unless here. These are super big words because they put the grace in absolute dependency upon the sacramental action. So what I mean is, for example, in John chapter 3, verse 6, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's kind of saying being born of the water and Spirit allows you to enter the kingdom of God. And this is the way, you know, there's not like other options. John 6, verse 51. If, the big word if, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. John chapter 20. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. All right, so it's like, wow. Um so those are some of the big indicators of that the sacraments actually are the providing of that grace in and of themselves. And that's it's just a really crazy and amazing that God puts this grace into a relation, relationship of dependence upon the sacraments. If you don't do it, you ain't getting it. If you do it, you get it. And it's the doing of it that makes it happen. Uh, a few other quick things from Scripture uh, to point at some of the other sacraments. I'm not going to go through them all. Um, for the ordination, 2 Timothy chapter 1, the gift of God he talks about that is within you through the laying on of hands. Excuse me, of my hands, he specifically says. And so there's the gift of God that is within him, and it became within him, quote, through the laying on of hands, through a sacramental sign, through a sacred sign. Now let's think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when Paul, this is Acts chapter 19, verse 6, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And it only happened with this key word of when. When Paul laid his hands upon them. Not before, not after. It was in the doing that it was done. 
James chapter 5, again, the anointing of the sick here. The prayer of faith will save the sick man. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. So this is after kind of being anointed with oil. The prayer, Anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick persons. The prayer of faith includes the anointing with oil, and his sins will be forgiven. It happens in the action of the anointing with oil. So it's very clear witness from sacred scripture that it is in the physical doing that there is some miraculous spiritual effect that's happening. In a physical reality, a spiritual reality is coming to be. Wow, that's amazing. So let's now consider some of the fathers of the church. I think I'm running out of time. We're at 20 minutes. Okay, I'm not going to rush it, but I will strive to be clear. St. John Chrysostom says, says, When you come to the sacred initiation, the eyes of the flesh see water. The eyes of the faith behold the Spirit. Those eyes see the body being baptized. These see the old man being buried. The eyes of the flesh see the flesh being washed. The eyes of the Spirit see the soul being cleansed. The eyes of the body see the body emerging from the water. The eyes of faith see the new man coming forth brightly, shining from that sacred purification. Our bodily eyes see the priest as from above he He lays his right hand on the head and touches. Our spiritual eyes see the great high priest as he stretches forth his invisible hand to touch his head. For at that moment, the one who baptizes is not a man, but the only begotten Son of God. I like that. Uh, Let's talk about St. Ambrose also. So St. Ambrose has, I'll, I'll give you two quotes of his. The priest comes. He says a prayer at the font. He invokes the name of the Father, the presence of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He uses heavenly words. They are heavenly words because they are the words of Christ, which say that we must baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If at a word of men, at the invocation by one of the saints, the Trinity was present, symbolized by the fire from heaven brought down by the prayer of Elijah in 1 Kings, how many, excuse me, how much more efficacious this presence is where the eternal word is working. So again, the prayers of the priest bring about some kind of efficacious presence of the acting of the eternal word. Another quote from St. Ambrose. This is where he's talking about the institution narrative of the Eucharist. The day before he suffered, it says, he took bread in his holy hands. Before it is consecrated, it is bread. But when the words of Christ have been uttered over it, it is the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. Take and eat of this, all of you, for this is my body. And the chalice before the words of Christ is full is full of wine and water. But when the words of Christ have done their work, It becomes the blood of Christ, which has redeemed the people. Again, he's talking about the words that are spoken make the change. Beforehand, there was no change. Afterwards, there was a change. And the words are what made the difference. But it's not the words of the priest. It's the words of Christ. It's the words of Christ. How amazing is that? So, in Scripture, we see that the sacramental sign, the words and the deeds... The physical stuff of it are the causes. In the 
witnesses of these two saints that I mentioned, I could have gone on, we hear about the sacraments are the causes of the grace. The, each of these also point to the fact that it's Jesus doing it. It's Jesus doing the baptism. It's Jesus who's consecrating the bread and the wine into the body and blood. And that is very key. And so St. Thomas Aquinas, reading scripture, reading the church fathers, also I'll say, reading Aristotle, a pagan philosopher, <laughs> he comes up with a very clear idea that has just brought great surety to the church um, that we've just kept this around, this idea around without really wavering any after this. So Aristotle talks about a lot of different kind of causes. And one of the type of causes is an instrumental cause. Instrumental cause. What do I mean by this? Well, think of a paintbrush. A paintbrush cannot paint a painting by itself. It just sits there by itself. It might have paint on it. And in an earthquake, it might fall over and it might put paint on the floor. But it's not going to be pretty. It's not really something greater than it. It cannot create anything more than an inanimate object can create. It's not going to have anything intellectual to it. But you put that paintbrush into a hand, and if that hand is the hand of an artist, things change. It becomes an instrument in the hand of an artist. An instrument that an artist will use to make something that's bigger than the instrument, do something that's greater than the instrument. So here, the paintbrush is the instrumental cause. We could even say the hand is also an instrumental cause. But the principle, the main cause, the one who's doing the stuff, making it happen, is the artist. For us, we can look to the sacraments in a very similar way. The very first instrumental cause that we think about is God bringing salvation to the world through a physical reality. It's through the very body of Christ. It's through the body of Christ, the body who, that is God. It's not to say that the body of Christ is divine nature. It's human nature. It's not mixed. But the very person of Jesus Christ is totally united with the entirety of the humanity of Jesus. And the person of Jesus wields his humanity just as an artist wields a paintbrush. And so that humanity becomes a physical cause of our spiritual salvation. This is amazing. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. It is God, it's God using an instrument. He's using a hammer. He's using a screwdriver. He's using a paintbrush. He's using a pencil. He's using sacraments to write salvation into our hearts. This is what's going on. And he does this through sacramental signs. Christ's humanity is the first instrumental cause of God. But then God's humanity or Christ's humanity is put into the sacraments. He remains with us in the sacraments. St. Leo the Great says that at the time of the ascension, Jesus' humanity ascended from us in order to enter into the sacraments. So his humanity became kind of universalized through the, or accessible to all through the sacraments. So it's kind of cool to think about it that way. I hope I'm making sense here. But it's Jesus using these sacraments just as a painter would use a paintbrush. God uses the priest's words 
of for the consecration and for absolution. That's why the priest says, this is my body. This is my the cup of my blood. Or at, at absolution and confession, I absolve you of your sins. It's not the priest doing it. It's Jesus doing it. And he wants us to hear, not the priest's voice. Jesus wants us to hear his own voice, his own words, because the priest is just an instrument in God's hands. It's Jesus who offers the Eucharist. It is Jesus who forgives your sins. It is Jesus who baptizes your child. It is Jesus who anoints you in the Holy Spirit of confirmation. It is Jesus who who uh, gives you the anointing of the sick and unites himself to you. Isn't that beautiful? It is Jesus who is doing the loving inside that married couple, binding them together. So it's super cool. Jesus wields the sacraments to accomplish his intended work. The sacraments are an instrument in his hand. And I'm actually going to say they're going to be an instrument in his hand for better or for worse. What do I mean by that? Well, because he has humbled himself to be in these sacraments, we need to be good stewards, specifically the priests, specifically the bishops and priests, because we have this power that's been put inside of us to bring these sacraments just to every place that we're, that we that we desire to put them, and that is a legitimate thing, even if it's not in a good circumstance. So, for example, if someone comes to I'm trying to think of a good example here. So if someone wants to be confirmed and the priest or the bishop puts his hands over them, prays in the Holy Spirit, prays for the Holy Spirit to descend upon them in a guaranteed way, well, that happens because it's guaranteed. But what if that person doesn't have faith? What if that person has faith, but they've not turned away from their sin? That is calling down the Holy Spirit into a situation that is not worthy of the Holy Spirit. They have not brought their life to the Lord. They have turned their backs on God's, on, on God. And it's the Holy Spirit now just kind of being put upon their the rejection of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's, the, it's crazy. It's super sad, you know. Someone who does not have faith or someone who is not repenting of their sins, who's not living, at least in the basic uh, way of grace, they should not receive the sacraments because it it's a sacrilege, because they... Because it happens. The Holy Spirit is put into that person, sort of. The character is made real. That confirmed person will not be confirmed in the future, even though they were not able to receive the Holy Spirit. But the character, that that confirmation character was there. And they just are in a continual state of rejection of the Holy Spirit. And it seems like a total insult for the priest or the bishop to invoke the Holy Spirit into someone who's rejecting the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so this is what we call sacrilege. Obviously, that's the case with with Holy Communion and giving that to someone who's in a, who's in a state of lacking repentance. We call that a sacrilege. So we need to be good stewards. We need to put the paintbrush only where it should go. We need to put the sacraments only where they should go and give them to who they should who should who's disposed to receive that's who they what's what I want to say because everyone should receive the sacraments but not everyone is disposed to and if they're not disposed to it will not provide fruit it will not be effective and it is bringing god and his grace into a circumstance of immediately being rejected which is just really not 
not very kind to God's generous mercy. Last thing here, there's this, a Latin phrase that is important if you're ever setting the sacraments. It's ex opere operato. And that means from the doing, it's done, which is something I've already alluded to here. When a sacrament is done, it's done. And you just do it. When you do it, it's done. The action is there and the result is there. Even if the grace is rejected, like I said, that person has received confirmation or that person has received baptism or whatever it is. In the doing of it, it is done as long as the most essential dimensions of the sacrament are present there. So ex opere operato, you'll hear that from time to time, perhaps should you be reading the right kind of books and talking with a certain kind of people. But that's kind of, it's one that kind of developed with the idea of being with this question of, well, my child was baptized by someone who was a terrible man. You know, I've talked with people who have been married by one of these priests who were in these terrible child abuse scandals. And, and I can confirm to them, hey, look, just because that priest did whatever doesn't mean the sacraments were real. You had the basic essential dimensions, the basic essential requirements of the sacrament, and the sacrament was done. Not because the priest was holy, not because the priest was totally lacking holiness, but because Christ decided to enter into these sacraments, to wield them as an instrument. Now, the priests need to be holy because he can increase the disposition of the others by by celebrating the sacraments reverently and in a holy fashion. But even unholy priests will celebrate the sacraments in a valid way. I thank you for tuning in. Many, many blessings to you. And I look forward to joining you again for another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean. May God bless you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Adios, amigos.